The Bible is a collection of many ancient Israelite scrolls. And together, they're telling one unified story. Now, if you look at the second scroll, Exodus, you'll find two important sentences. They're actually so important that they're referenced and requoted over 20 more times within the Bible itself. It must be important. What does it say? Yahweh, Yahweh, that's God's name, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. I can see why it's repeated so often. These attributes of God are really lovely. And the statement goes on. He maintains loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he won't declare innocent the guilty. He will bring the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and grandchildren to the third and the fourth. Okay, hold on. This last part takes a bit of a turn. We're first talking about God's love, and suddenly it's about his judgment on grandkids. So is God merciful or vengeful? Yeah, great question. Let's see these words in a larger context by looking at something important in Genesis, the first scroll of the Bible. There, God chooses one family, the Israelites, from among the nations, and he promises that he's going to rescue the whole world through this family somehow. And Genesis ends with the family of Abraham in Egypt. Then the book of Exodus begins, and this book has two large movements. Right, okay, so this first movement of Exodus, God rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt. And in the second movement, God leads them to Mount Sinai, where they camp out for a year. And God invites this whole nation into a partnership called a covenant, so that they can be shaped by his values and character. And represent God to all the other nations. Exactly. Now, this whole Mount Sinai movement in Exodus can be broken up into four literary units. First, there's the actual ceremony where the Israelites agree to be God's partners. And God sets up the terms of the relationship, starting with the Ten Commandments. The first two are... Don't give your allegiance to other gods and don't make any idol images of God. Seems simple enough. After that, God shows Moses detailed blueprints for building this sacred home so that God can come and live among them. All right, and then comes a really long narrative about the building of that sacred home. But you missed something. Right in between these sections is the story that has our description about God's character. The story begins with Moses going up on the mountain, writing down the partner agreement, as the Israelites are at the base of the mountain, violating the first two commands. That's ridiculous. They're breaking the covenant vows while the ceremony is still going on. Yes. And so God is hurt and angry, and he warns Moses that this betrayal will keep on happening. God is ready to call it quits. But what about his promise to rescue the world through them? Yeah, exactly. This is what Moses brings up. And so what is God going to do? Should he end the partnership, which would be fair? Or will he be faithful to his promise to Abraham and show them mercy? Yeah, exactly. Now, look back at the words that we began with and you'll see. They're about this very tension between God's mercy and his justice. Okay, so the statement opens like this. A God compassionate and gracious. In Hebrew, this line has three words that rhyme. El Rahum the Chanun. And the line overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness matches the first, as it also has three Hebrew words. Rav Chesed Ve'emet. Each of those lines have two attributes of God, and they surround a fifth attribute, that God is slow to anger. Right. Now, that's the first half of this description of God. Then comes the second half. God maintains loyal love for thousands. And 
How is he going to remain loyal to people who keep rebelling against him? By forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Ah, uh, but God's forgiveness doesn't mean people can just do whatever they want. Right. God's mercy is balanced in what follows. Yet he won't declare innocent the guilty. He'll bring the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and grandchildren to the third and the fourth. The third and the fourth what? Well, it's referring to generations of people who repeat their ancestors' rebellion against God. They'll get what they deserve. But notice, this small number of generations contrasts that massive number up above. God's loyal love to thousands. Right. And then check this out. God's forgiveness of iniquity in this line is contrasted with his justice on iniquity in this line. Okay, and all those lines are surrounding a central line here about God's justice. He will not declare innocent the guilty. So while God is slow to anger, he is also just. Right. This is the tension that these two sentences are exploring. How does a faithful and loyal God deal with such a rebellious people? This is the challenge God faces in this story, and it's the same challenge he faces in the whole biblical story as he works to rescue the world through this family. With that in mind, we can take a closer look at these five attributes that God declares about himself to Moses. A God compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. And we'll see how each one leads us deeper into the character of God and into the story of the Bible. All right, good morning, Chapel Hill. How many of you are familiar with the Bible Project? Okay, that's a lot of you. That's good. Those of you who are not yet familiar with it, um, this is something you need to check out sometime soon. Uh, this is a free resource. Uh, they are crowdfunded, and they are doing a great job of presenting Bible history, context, um, all sorts of things, tradition that, um, that bring a depth of meaning to what we read in the Bible. It's a really great resource and it is well worth looking at. So check it out sometime. Um, the Bible Project video that we just watched is a great setup for where we're headed in this series now. Um, our series, of course, is called Knowing God, and this is all about knowing God and being known by God. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Peter highlighted the fact that one of the best ways that we can know God is through knowing Jesus. And that was such an encouraging message. Um, Jesus is the full representation of God the Father. What we see in Jesus is what God is like. The King came to us. That's the big story of Jesus. That is amazing. He came to us because his desire is to know us and to be known by us. And through his spirit then, God invites us into this closeness of knowing him. It's an amazing journey. And so along with the honor of knowing Jesus, we've been given an invitation by God to know him on an eternal, supernatural, spiritual basis through his Holy Spirit living in us. And that knowing gets deeper and deeper. And that should encourage us to ask God to create this or further this depth of knowing him through the work of his spirit in our lives. And that's what we'll do as we proceed through this series. Okay, back to the Bible Project video. In Exodus 34, we're given this incredible gift. God actually describes himself for us. 
We don't have to explore to find it. It's right there and it comes from him. And so in our quest to know him, doesn't it make sense that we listen to what he says about himself? He's, he's handing it to us. He's saying, here I am. This is what I'm like. And he lists attributes like compassion, also called mercy. He talks about being slow to anger. He mentions love, faithfulness, forgiveness, and more. And God's self-assessment is repeated in the books of Numbers, 2 Chronicles, Nehemiah, Jonah, and more. It's all over the story. In Psalm 86.15, David makes God's attributes his prayer. David says, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He states right back to God who he is. He lists his attributes. The first thing that God mentions in his list of his own attributes is compassion. He refers to himself as a God compassionate or merciful and gracious. And so we're going to focus today on that first one. And let's start by unpacking a few words to make sure that we're all on the same page as we move forward in our look at God's word today. So first of all, um, what is an attribute? And we better make sure that we're, on the same, we're speaking the same language for this. This word has a very important distinction that is included in its definition. All right, an attribute is an inherent part of someone. It's an inherent part of someone, and there's a key word in that definition that we can't ignore, and that word is inherent. We could easily just say that an attribute is just part of someone. Maybe it's just the word that we would use to describe something about that person, and that's true, but it is not complete. Inherent means that whatever we're talking about exists as a permanent, essential characteristic of that person. That means that we don't just see God practicing compassion from time to time. God is compassion. Compassion cannot be separated from God, so there's no point at which God is not compassionate, not merciful. Now let's define this attribute a little. The words compassionate and merciful are, are used interchangeably in a lot of places in the Bible. It's, it's one word or the other comes from the same root. We may think that we can see a subtle difference between the two, but even if we look at the Exodus 34 passage, we'll see some translations of the Bible use the word compassionate, others use the word merciful. So let's examine our definitions of the two words, and then let's mentally just mash them up. Let's combine them together. All right, compassionate means showing sympathy or concern for others. And beyond that, being compassionate means that we make the move to suffer with another. I read this anonymous quote about the word compassion. This is what it said. Sympathy looks in and says, I'm sorry. Compassion goes in and says, I'm with you. Sympathy looks in and says, I would like to help. Compassion goes in and says, I'm here to help. Sympathy says, I wish I could carry your burden. Compassion says, cast your burden on me. So what does merciful mean? Um, the two words are very closely tied together. Being merciful involves bringing someone else release from something unpleasant, the suffering mentioned in the definition of compassionate, 
and it carries with it the aspect of the one being merciful, being in a position to punish or treat harshly the one facing something unpleasant. But you don't. This is how God deals with his people, often in spite of how we've treated him or how we are ongoing treating him. Psalm 78, 38 says, Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. God is a compassionate, merciful God. And unlike us, he is always compassionate and merciful. That sets him apart. Compassion is an attribute of his, not just something that he demonstrates when he's feeling compassion or in a compassionate mood. Now, our reference point for compassion and mercy is, is often far too limited. We experience or see or read about or hear about random acts of compassion. And as it should be, we're moved by those acts. Like in this story. A young man named Mark was walking home from school one day when he noticed that a boy ahead of him had tripped and dropped all the books he was carrying, along with two jackets, a baseball bat, a glove, and a pair of sneakers. Mark knelt and helped the boy pick up the scattered articles. Since they were going the same way, he helped the boy carry part of the burden. As they walked, he discovered the boy's name was Bill. He loved video games, baseball, history, and was having lots of trouble with his other subjects. They arrived at Bill's home first, and Mark was invited in to play video games. The afternoon passed pleasantly with a few laughs and shared small talk, and then Mark went home. They continued to see each other around school, had lunch together once in a while, then both graduated from middle school. They ended up in the same high school where they had brief contacts over the years. Finally, the long-awaited senior year came, and three weeks before graduation, Bill asked Mark if they could talk. Bill reminded Mark of the day years ago when they had first met. Did you ever wonder why I was carrying so many things home that day, asked Bill. You see, I cleaned out my locker because I didn't want to leave a mess for anyone else. I had saved up some of my mother's sleeping pills and I was going home to commit suicide. Bill told Mark that he realized that he didn't want to die after spending time together talking and laughing. I would have missed that time with you and many other good times in my life that followed. Mark, I'm trying to say to you that you did a lot more when you picked up those books and things that day. You saved my life. These are the kinds of compassionate acts, stories like this, that we admire. We look inside ourselves and we determine that we're going to be more like Mark. We're going to commit to seeing more opportunities to carry out acts of compassion like this. We want to be more compassionate. Now let me push our focus forward into a different realm. Any human who acts like Mark, acts like Mark because they have been created in the image of the one who doesn't merely act like Mark sometimes. We were created in the image of compassion itself. God is 
compassionate. He doesn't merely act, act compassionately sometimes. And yes, I've already stated that this morning, but I really think we have to try to at least wrap our minds around this a little. God is a compassionate God. God is compassion. And at the very core of his being is compassion. It's mercy. He can't not be compassionate. And as much as we as we know we would benefit from spending more time with people like Mark and letting their compassion rub off on us, wouldn't spending time with the source of compassion and mercy have an even greater impact on us? Obviously it would. And this is exactly what God wants for us as well. He wants us to be transformed by his compassion, his mercy. And that transformation requires a kind of relationship and closeness with him that Jesus prayed for and is praying for for us. It requires oneness with God. You and I were made in the image of God. The image of mercy is in our DNA. But that image, as we know, has been corrupted. And of course, the answer to redeeming our DNA is not found in us becoming more like Mark or more like somebody else. The redemption of the image of God in us, the redemption of God's mercy in us is found in the ongoing work of God's spirit in us. And surrendering to that work and joining God in it is one of the many ways in which we will truly know God and not just know this about him. God gives us a huge head start to knowing him and his compassion, his mercy. Um, the Bible Project, by the way, also created a video that teaches about this attribute. It goes through a series after this one, teaching about those attributes that are listed. Um, the video teaches that the word for compassionate is closely tied to the Hebrew word for womb. This is a picture of a mother's love for her child. God's compassion towards his people was evident throughout the Bible in so many situations. Uh, Exodus chapter 3 gives us the story of God's compassion towards his people who have been in captivity for a long, long time. And in a conversation between God and Moses in front of a burning bush, God says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Israel knew God's compassion. God was faithfully merciful with them throughout their history. The whole story of God sending Jesus into our suffering to redeem us is a crystal clear picture of God's compassion and mercy. It's written all over this act. We don't deserve what God did for us. God didn't stay put in the glory of heaven and express his sympathy for his creation. In his perfect compassion, God moved God acted. He entered into our suffering through Jesus Christ. God looked on a people that he could have just wiped off the face of the earth. And he saw us as his people, the sheep of his pasture. He didn't treat us 
as enemies. He treated us as friends, children, his children. And he was simply himself with us. He was just himself. And so he sent Jesus to save us. The mercy of God was embodied in Jesus Christ. We didn't get what we deserve. Jesus took upon himself what we deserve. And we remember the compassion and mercy of God every time we take communion together. God is merciful. God is compassionate. Now, Jesus himself pointed us to God's compassion. In the famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God blesses those who reflect his image in this way. Jesus even taught us how to respond to our enemies. He taught us to love them, a reflection of God's image. To do good to those who hate us. To bless those who curse us. To pray for those who abuse us. And ultimately in Luke 6, Jesus ties this back to to who God is. He says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. In all of this and much more, we know about God. One of God's attributes is compassion. We know that about him. Knowing this then, how can we know him more? Not just more about him. How can we know him more? What impact can this knowledge have on our relationship with him, our relationship with God? This has to be something that we act on, not just bank as knowledge. So let's talk for a little bit about engaging with God in this attribute How do we experience our compassionate God? How do we know him relationally? Well, first of all, we have to acknowledge that we already are experiencing God in this way. We already are. We know God because we are recipients of his compassion, his mercy. That's something we're already getting from him. We're already experiencing that in him. Except that pride often gets in the way of this experience. We convince ourselves that we're good enough people that we don't need God's compassion. We're good enough that we don't need his mercy. And this couldn't be farther from the truth. We are all in need of God's mercy. God can be experienced in our willingness to admit that we need him, we need this. Denying this will definitely keep us from knowing God in the giver-receiver relationship, which is what we're in. He gives and we receive. He extends compassion to us and we receive his compassion. We're impacted by his compassion. We experience God in this context and we already are unless we're pushing back on that and declaring that we don't need it. Secondly, we have in front of us a book full of demonstrations of God's compassion. Seeking out and focusing on this attribute of God that's showcased in the Bible 
will draw us closer to God. Knowing the story of God's compassion towards Israel and realizing honestly that we too are now his people puts us in the story rather than just on the outside looking in. God's compassion is central to his story and it is central to our story. We are a part of that story. And so look for demonstrations of God's compassion and mercy in his word, in the Bible. Look up key words. Just Google stories of God's compassion in the Bible and you will find it there. Go and dwell on those things. Then when we talk to God, we have an opportunity to interact with him as the source of compassion and mercy. Prayer is about knowing God. We know him, we experience him in the act of prayer. It's a relational component of our life. So try this. When you address God in prayer, try addressing him as compassionate, merciful God. Speak that to him when you talk to him. Make this part of the way that you talk to him. In your prayers, praise him for his compassion and mercy. Let him know that this means something to you and he will meet you there. Now, all around us as well are great examples of this attribute being lived out by God's children. Um, This week, I had an incredible and clear look at what this means. Uh, On Tuesday, my wife Kim and I attended an Arrive Ministries event called Listen. Arrive exists to come alongside refugees as they flee danger and start life over again here in Minnesota. Arrive takes compassion very seriously. They see the struggles of refugees and they lovingly take action to help them as they navigate this journey where everything is new for them. Everything is foreign. And back before Christmas, this church, Chapel Hill, donated a whole pile of gifts to help refugee families get set up. And we're going to hear a great story about our involvement with Arrive next Sunday as well. On Tuesday, we listened to several refugee families tell their story of how they've seen this compassion lived out. It was incredibly powerful. It was a beautiful event. Um, Arrive is demonstrating compassion very well. They're coming alongside people who are suffering. And then on Thursday morning, I had the privilege of speaking at the Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge Chapel. Um, Kyle and I went down, and he led music, and and I I gave the teaching for that time. Um, Teen Challenge highlights the mercy side of compassion. They take action, but they also withhold judgment. They withhold punishment. We have to admit that our human nature sometimes thinks that maybe people who land in Teen Challenge deserve what they get because doing drugs was their choice. Mercy sets that aside and compassionately enters into their story to bring hope. And we're going to hear more about that this month as well. Another way that we know God in this is every time we see a cross, 
We need to remember that God is compassionate and merciful. That is a symbol of his compassion for us. Thank him, confess your love for him, and your desire to see his compassion rub off in your relationship with him. But let the cross be a reminder to you. And whenever we see a human demonstration of compassion, we do have a response, don't we? We do react to what we see. So I would encourage us to make an effort to redirect that response to the God who is compassion and express to him what you feel about those who demonstrate compassion. Turn those emotions to him. Turn that gratitude and admiration to him. Listen, God's desire is to redeem this attribute in us. He wants to do that. And that's only going to happen in the context of our relationship with him. It's not something we can just accomplish on our own. So let's talk to him about this redeeming work. Let's talk to others about it. Make it part of our vocabulary, part of our storytelling. Let's join God in expressing compassion and mercy to the world around us. We'll find him there. He's doing it. We should be doing it too. And in that shared experience, church, we will know God. God promises not to forget us. Promise him that you won't forget him. And join him in what he's doing. He will make himself known to you in that experience. Let's pray together before we end our time with a, another song. And I would just ask that take a few seconds now just to ask your father to grow this attribute in you. Ask God to rub off on you. Ask God to fill you with his spirit to the point where you are overflowing with compassion and mercy. And commit to God that you will join him in this and find him there and know him there. Father, we thank you this morning for the beautiful gift that you have given us you have you have poured out on us your compassion your mercy and god we admit that we were suffering without you we admit that we don't deserve what you offer us we don't deserve your mercy we admit that we are entirely dependent on your compassion to save us. And we declare together this morning that we love you. We love your compassionate heart. We love that this is who you are and that you can't be anything other than compassionate and merciful. We thank you for sharing this about yourself, for telling us directly this is who you are. We thank you for inviting us into sharing in this experience with you. And I ask, Lord, that as we go out and demonstrate compassion and mercy in our marriages, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, at work, in this church family, wherever it might be, I ask, Father, that you would just meet us there.
would be more than just us doing something independently that we know is right and we think is going to impress you. Help every one of these experiences and opportunities to become a time when we connect with you. And together, we extend compassion and mercy to the world around us. I just ask that you would meet us there. Make yourself known to us there. That we would find the depth of our relationship with you growing. And we would know you more through this. Father, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for the compassionate gift of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.